0: Hello and welcome to the Aquarius Podcast, I'm your host, Randy Reed. This episode of the Aquarius Podcast is sponsored by OWAZA. OWAZA is well known for their line of outdoor pond and water garden products and are now stepping into the indoor aquatics market. Their lineup includes products like the internal BioPlus filters and external Biomaster canister filters. Both lines of filtration offer models with heater integration to help you declutter your tank and show off your plants and fish. OWAZA also has a great selection of aquariums in their BioOrb line. Their Bio Cube Aquarium actually won the award for Best Aquarium Product at the Super Zoo Trade Show. So, check out these great products and more by clicking on the links in the show notes. Now, on to the interview. Today's date is Thursday, April 11th, 2019. My guest today is Ryan Kennedy. Ryan is a Florida resident who has progressively become more involved with catching native and invasive fish in Florida. Ryan is starting to convert his fish room into a Florida species collection. He was also awesome enough to take Corey McElroy and I out for an impromptu day of fish collecting when we were back in Orlando a few weeks ago. Ryan also hosts a popular YouTube channel called Lucky Schmuck's Fish Cave. So Ryan, welcome to the Aquarius Podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Randy. Really happy to be here.
0: And I I want to make sure that I pronounced it correctly for everyone to hear. It was Ryan Kinney. And I feel like as I was saying that through my bio, I might have choked on the Kinney part. So I want everybody to know it is Ryan Kinney. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I think you said it fine, man, but I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem, man. Uh, I feel like we hung out for one day. I feel like I have a friend in Florida now and you.
1: Hey, I appreciate that, man. I feel like I got a friend in, in Washington there. It was really fun to to meet you and hang out with you guys and kind of just go to lunch together. I mean, obviously, we'll get into it, but we ended up you know shopping at Walmart and just kind of goofing off and doing some really cool stuff
0: we're, we're starting out real highbrow man we're talking about shopping at walmart everybody this is this is a classy show here yeah man i mean it's uh it, you know i say that and it's just funny what the fish hobby does you know it's uh you know traveling around meeting people um opening your doors up to to relative strangers and it's all this common thread of hey i've got fish you like fish come in my house and check them out complete stranger like it's it, it's just funny
1: Yeah, it it really is pretty interesting. I I say this to myself a lot lately, like, you know, a few, man, if I was thinking to myself, you know, four or five years ago, Ryan, would you be doing this? I'd be like, there's no, there's no way. And I find myself in situations, a lot of them due to, you know, the fish keeping hobby. And I say it a lot that, you know, there's a lot of fish and, you know, new fish and finding new species that interests me. But the people in the hobby and meeting the people is just, I think, an underappreciated aspect of the hobby, and something that has really kept me in the hobby. Not what dro- drove me to the hobby. I didn't come here looking to find, you know, other people per se. But it's definitely an awesome part of the hobby, and what's kept me in it.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's kind of a parallel a slight parallel to you know you have you you start a job somewhere and um the people they enjoy where they work but they'll tell you you know it's not necessarily the place that I work it's the people that I work with kind of thing that keeps them there and and so I you know I I definitely agree with you on that that there's just some really awesome people that uh, that participate and enjoy this hobby
1: Yeah I've been I've been fortunate to meet a lot through um uh, I do maybe we'll get into it but I do a lot of like stuff on the tape, a lot of DIY stuff in my fish room. And I've had an opportunity to meet uh, a lot of local people that kind of do the same. So we bonded over our, you know, love and passion for fish as well as, you know, trying to find deals. And it's been really cool. Like I have a lot of guys now that I can call, you know, my friends that were truly strangers that I met, you know, on Craigslist, offer up, let go, um, you know, through fish keeping because of fish keeping.
0: It's like you almost need to start a DIY fish keeping club and then hold your meetings at a Home Depot, Ace Hardware, or a Lowe's. <laughs> that feels like it needs to be a thing.
1: Yeah. I'm lucky enough that I have a Lowe's like right by my house. So I have been frequenting there a lot ever since I, you know, kind of uh started construction on the the, the fish room. <laughs> man, man,
0: anybody that is I mean, home projects in general, but there's just something about the building of a fish room where you are going to make three trips to Lowe's, three trips to Home Depot, it's just inevitable. Like you're going to forget something or the brand of something that you need is carried at Lowe's, but you forgot and you went to Home Depot and it's just like you live there until your fish room is done. It's, it's ridiculous.
1: Oh yeah. I definitely can relate to that. And there's a Home Depot, not that much further. And I've, I've literally been to, you know, both multiple times on the same day because, you know, certain ones will carry certain things, but it's, it's definitely somewhere I'm I'm all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, and for me, that was something where y- y- if you need a certain part, like I was using um, to tap into my waterline, Pex connectors and whatnot. And there were items that I could have got on Amazon for cheaper. But it's like when I had time to work in the fish room, I was willing to pay the premium in drive to actually go and pick up that item in the store where I think I feel like with most other things in life, we're willing to just wait that day or two for Amazon Prime delivery. But <laughs> it's like, nah, man, I'm building my fish room. I got to get this done.
1: No, I'm the same man. I'm I mean, I have Amazon Prime, I've had it for quite a few years and I use it for, you know, probably too much stuff. But when it comes time and, you know, it's I got time available to, you know, insulate the room or add on to the, the air, um you know, the air system which I did recently. It's it's something if I need it now, like you said, I'm gonna pay a premium and I'm just gonna run to the store and grab it instead of, you know, even waiting a day or two that Amazon, you know, may may take.
0: Yep. And uh so let's go ahead and build out who Ryan Kinney is so what is your what are your earliest memories keeping fish
1: yeah so early on actually I've always kept a lot of pets but my first two pets ever and these are not from my memory per se but these are based on kind of what you know my mom told me that I had as a kid and these were two goldfish actually named sunset and set sun <laughs> but sun- those aren't <laughs> sunset
0: and set sun that's that's great
1: yeah. So I don't don't ask me why those these are these are two fish that I don't necessarily have a you know recollection of. But this is just told to me as you know these were the, the two pet the first two pets you ever had were these two goldfish that I named Set Sun and Sunset.
0: <laughs> so I want to take a moment and let the audience know I know what you're doing right now, but uh, you have two awesome dogs. <laughs> I heard them a little bit, and I think you're uh, I think you're giving them some attention right now.
1: Yeah, my apologies, man. I was trying to do it on the download, but <laughs> no, yeah, okay. they, I had them in the room. I took them for a walk just a bit ago, and um, I thought they would, you know, be fine. But they were, you know, kind of barking. Have them in the room; they're barking, so I let them out real quick. No, no worries. What's uh, <laughs> what's
0: the what's the big guy's name?
1: His name is Bo. And Bo, that's the ball right. Energy man. Yeah,
0: Bo is such an awesome dog. Yeah, he's man, he's like 80 lo- plus pounds. I loved hanging out with that guy. All right, so <laughs> so now that everybody knows what you were doing, and which is perfectly fine. I've had guests with barking dogs before. Um, I, I, I I think it adds a little something to the uh, to the podcast. Um, <laughs> all right, cool. So, all right, so you had you had Sunset and Set Sun. Um, those two gold. They were gold. You said goldfish, right? Goldfish, correct. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, But beyond that, I mean the first real tank I had this is probably a middle school once again I don't remember all the specifics, but it was like around about a 20 gallon tank Um, it was something like a a hang-on back filter and I remember having a blue Grammy with the spots a ball of shark and you know I'm sure a bunch of other tetras and stuff. I don't remember it doing well I remember a lot of fish dying and buying new fish frequently and definitely not understanding Kind of, you know, the nitrogen cycle or anything I understand now, just like a lot of people, you know, have went through when they were a kid, you know, that same kind of experience. Um, so I definitely had one of those tanks, like I said, in the mid middle school um, and then was kind of out of the out of the fish game for a while, but definitely still kept, um, you know, dogs and lots of other animals along the way.
0: Mm hmm. And now before we jump, uh, you know, before I kind of lead you into the next little uh, topic, why don't you tell me about guinea pigs?
1: yeah so that was definitely one of the first uh, like, kind of like business hustles I had as well as being a uh, you know one of the pets I kept along the way and I actually bred guinea pigs I, I bred guinea pigs and sold them back to the pet store this was not something where I made a lot of money this is gonna be like the beginning of high school I actually ended up buying a guinea pig from a store that happened to be pregnant and then I realized oh, okay you know this this happens, and then you can you know sell them back to the store and you know breed them again. And I think at one point I was up to something like twenty five to thirty guinea pigs. I had them in you know bunch of cages. I had like a finished basement, and they were all hanging out down there, and it was just. Uh, it got out of hand really quick. <laughs> it,
0: it's it's so funny to hear you talk about breeding guinea pigs, right, and, and trading them back to the store, um, and we can basically label that breeding for profit, and now we're starting to draw the, you know, make that connection with all of the the fish videos and uh, posts and articles out there about breeding fish for profit, um, you know, guppies and red cherry shrimp, kind of that real classic formula, and it never really dawned on me that, you know, there, there's, there's potentially a breeding for profit, if you will, um, in other parts of the pet space, if you will. Um, and, and so to hear that you're just like, yeah, I, I got a pregnant female guinea pig and then it just like morphed into some like crazy breeding for profit thing in your in your basement for you. Yeah,
1: pretty much. I mean that's I mean that's kind of what happened and you know I, I really wasn't thinking about it like that at the time or, you know, trying to make a ton of money out of it. And it wasn't until I don't know 25 years later now you know, in the last few years that I kind of have been doing the same thing with, you know, cherry shrimp. You know, it's something that I, you know, cherry shrimp and some snails that I will, you know, breed for profit, pretty common thing to do in the hobby.
0: And so was a lot of the money that you got from the guinea pigs, was it just going back to like buying bedding? Because you had so many of them and they're pooping and peeing that you're constantly changing out bedding?
1: Yeah, that's something that I don't think I was into the whole, um, buying ewes on craigslist as much back then so those cages i remember being 60 to 100 bucks a pop the bedding was expensive guinea pigs are (laughs) i I always tell people they're the only uh, animal that poops more than it eats but (laughs) it still eats a lot i mean they call it a pig it eats a lot so it was definitely not like a a winning proposition this is not some get rich quick scheme um it it definitely wasn't even paying for itself But it was just kind of that cool little thing. It was just doing it was pretty neat. You know, it was just interesting.
0: I mean, I I, I definitely see at some point – um, with with you know two kids in my household having a guinea pig or two guinea pigs. my wife is you know we we, we see guinea pigs at the store and they're cute um let, let's make it real practical like what's a practical what's some practical advice you know in like a, in like one minute that you can give to somebody that their kid at home wants them to go down the, the the guinea pig route and we're gonna drop some guinea pig knowledge on them
1: um yeah, they're a cool pet I think i if you have the time if you're really going to you know, I think I guess this is much, much like any pet. If you really do your research and want a guinea pig, I think it's cool. I used to make little mazes for them on the ground and have them run through them, but you can easily stick it in a cage and just feed it, and it'll poop, it'll smell, it'll make a bunch of noise, and it'll get annoying and, you know, kind of go by the wayside, just like, you know, a dirty aquarium can. Um, but my thing is, I think you should do do some research, definitely, just like any other pet, but... Figure out ways to, you know, some people put them on a leash, but figure out ways to kind of interact with your guinea pig and socialize it and make it, you know, kind of more part of the family as opposed to sticking it in a cage. Because once you do that, you don't interact with it. It's just going to, you know, fall by the wayside, in my opinion.
0: Now, are, are guinea pigs like hamsters where they're, you know, more nocturnal? Yeah. Um, you know, what? I, I don't
1: remember them being necessarily nocturnal, to be honest, but I could be wrong.
0: Because I feel like the hamsters that we had growing up as kids would, you know, they they were, they had to have been nocturnal because they only came out to run on their wheels and to eat as the sun started to set. Um, and at nighttime, you would wake up and your hamster was either chewing on his cage or running on his wheel. Um, somebody's probably pulling their hair out because they know like good hamster husbandry, like that's a sign of something. So I apologize, we we didn't know any better. Um, but I mean. Yeah. Do your research. Find out if this thing, if these things are, because I certainly know that with the hamsters that we had, they, you know, they'd wake you up running on their wheels at nighttime.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I remember that. I remember them burrowing in the bedding all day long, you know, hamsters and then being there at night. I remember with the guinea pigs definitely, you know, having some cage or some caves and stuff, some hides. But I don't recall, you know, but like I said, definitely do research.
0: Yeah. Hey, all right. Good, good advice. And so let's bring it back home to, uh, to fish. So then, um, after Guinea pigs, like what's your next foray or what's your, what's your foray back into, uh, the aquatic space?
1: Well, the foray back into the ex- aquatic space kind of involves a tilapia thing. Um, which was, uh, what my garage was kind of a, a tilapia breeding project before the current state it's in now, but I had been jonesing for a saltwater aquarium for a while At my workplace, they had got a saltwater tank and I just found myself like throughout the day, just kind of glued to the tank all day long, just infatuated by the saltwater tank to the point where I put together even a a spreadsheet of kind of the saltwater 55 gallon Fowler tank, uh, which maybe you saltwater geeks know out there, but kind of like fish with live rock, but no actual corals. And I had put this all planned together. And that was my, my goal was to Have a saltwater tank, and I wanted to jump back into fish. Well, that never happened. But my best friend reached out to me, and he had um, come into a um, a a, uh, gosh a cargo shipping container, like one of those huge shipping containers, and we were trying to figure out what we can do with it and we decided that we would raise tilapia inside this shipping container. How, how
0: do you and, how do you come to that though? How did how did well, how, how are, so, no 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 how are two dudes <laughs> that get a shipping container and the outcome is let's raise tilapia.
1: Well, we had always kind of um, one of our goals as a kid was to own a pet store and you know, now after kind of seeing what owning a pet store or fish store entails and how much hard work goes into it, you know, I love the hobby I don't think owning a, a a fish store or any kind of pet store is you know is my goal anymore. But as a kid, that's something that you know my best friend and I had had talked about and dreamed about, and something that was always kind of in our minds. And so we knew we kind of liked the the idea of fish and animals. He and his wife own a food truck, and they're constantly at events. And there's people that have like fish tacos and stuff like that. So our whole goal was to raise like a like a you know a home-raised fish that was going to be um, raised on like duckweed and sustainably and very healthy. And we would be able to sell it to local um, food trucks and farmers markets and kind of you know more um, local restaurants, you know, so they locally sourced kind of fish.
0: Um, okay, so that so now you're starting to yeah you're not you're starting to make a lot of sense because I've seen some shows where they show the uh, you know the the farm in the farm to table and they're raising the uh, like like pork they're raising pigs in a very sustainable, you know, rural organic, down to earth kind of farm manner and they get a premium for those pigs when they sell them back to very very high-end restaurants because there is that farm to table movement and the, you know, the yuppier the establishment, the more money you're going to get for those pigs. So I, I I can now see the wheels are turning, right? Okay, now that we're starting exactly. to connect some yeah, lines was, and that makes yeah, sense no, now.
1: this was this was definitely a business. This is this is definitely a business kind of decision. We were going into the tilapia not thinking Oh, we love tilapia. This will be cool. This was definitely like a business minded thing where, hey, we have this shipping container. You know, we have this kind of love for tilapia. Maybe there's this opportunity here. Um, but the whole shipping container thing didn't make sense. It was on, you know a, a property that wasn't that close, but I had a garage, and we're like, hey, we can do this in our in my garage. Um, so that's what we did. I mean, we went out and we drove like an hour and a half, two hours away to this guy who sold us this breeding pair of tilapia. And literally within like two weeks, we had, um, I don't know, five or six pregnant tilapia and then like hundreds of babies, like hundreds and hundreds of babies that was breeding them was not the easy part. You know, they're like, people joke about like guppies and stuff like that. It was pretty much like that um, where the wheels fell off was just the sheer volume of it. I, at this point, I still didn't know anything about a nitrogen cycle. You know, this is where I started doing some DIY stuff um, and what kind of, you know, just kind of inspired me to, really do what i do now in the fish room but from a this is all at a, at a different different angle with these tilapia and we just realized that it wasn't going to make sense from a business standpoint it was a lot a lot of work you really needed a much larger scale we weren't really prepared and we shut that down We you know we kind of shut that down and sold off all the tilapia sold off all the equipment all the tanks all the you know extra stuff and um was done with that, we you know, I was done with it and got rid of every single tank except for
0: I think one or two. But I'm not. I'm not done with this topic because I'm definitely intrigued yeah. here. So yeah, let's go. No, go so go, go, let's go. Yeah, let's go, let's yeah. go back to like researching. Um, you guys, you, you decide you're gonna go the tilapia route. Um, you know, you're gonna raise them sustainably. You sell them for for a pretty decent profit. Um, with kind of that marketing pitch behind them. So that that I completely understand. Now some research um, into what you're gonna buy and where you're gonna find it. Um, to educate me, uh, is there just one species of tilapia that's <laughs> pretty much no. used as uh, as a food source?
1: No, there's not. There's like a blue tilapia, there's Nile tilapia. The gentleman we bought them from was, you know, I guess somewhat of a tilapia connoisseur and he was breeding his own strains and, and you need certain permits for certain types. So, and I don't recall, it was either the blue tilapia or the Nile tilapia. There was one, we did our research and there was one that you did not need a, uh, a permit for and that's the one that we purchased from him. Um, now we had looked into different species because like literally when you get into it, you look at the different species for, okay, this one is going to grow this quick. This one is going to have this much of a fillet, you know, almost like, you know, like a product, you yeah, know, We're looking yeah. at it from like, you know, what's the yield going to be. And some of the other species may have had a better yield, but we weren't ready to necessarily like invest in permits and that kind of situation yet.
0: Okay. Um, and so if you don't mind me asking, what did the breeding pair run you guys? Like, what was the ballpark cost? It was,
1: yeah, it was a few hundred bucks. It was like two hundred and fifty bucks, I think, uh, two hundred fifty or three hundred dollars, and that was for I want to say seven fish, six, seven fish, one male and a bunch of females. And I don't know what the going market rate is really. I don't know how much research we did. I think I don't know if he was the only guy in town. I mean, it's not like you can just kind of go anywhere and buy a you know a bunch of tilapia. <laughs> yeah, but,
0: sure.
1: I mean, they were they were what they said what he said they were, you know, and it them breeding wasn't an issue. I mean they were definitely sexually mature tilapia of, you know, one male and five or six females, whatever it was, and he shared with us a lot of information. Um yeah, I mean that I- but yeah, it was, a, it was a few hundred bucks.
0: Yeah, no, that's fascinating. And that actually, that, that that seems in line with what I would expect the cost to be, if not maybe a little bit lower than I thought you might've said. Um, yeah. Now, as far as their reproduction, um, completely ignorant on on this. So these tilapia um, mouth brooders, egg scatterers, like what are they, What what's their mode of reproduction?
1: Yep, they are mouth brooders. So essentially I had them in a 55 gallon tank. There were two flower pots, as well as this kind of, pyramid that i constructed out of um some fairly large pvc pvc tubes so that allowed the males to kind of or the male to corner the females in one of the flower pots where um she would drop the eggs he would fertilize them he would pick them back or she would pick them back up and then she could kind of stake out one of those um pyramid tubes one of the tubes in the pyramid to kind of, you know, go on her own and kind of hide away from the male. And then once we noticed the holding female, we would go and take her out and put her in a, you know, a 20 gallon tank until the uh, the fry were, you know, free swimming. She would spit the fry or we would, you know, have her spit the fry. And we would put her back in with the male. But that only lasted a few weeks before we literally took the male out of the tank because we just had too many fry. Each batch was, you know, anywhere from, a few dozen to a hundred fry easy.
0: Wow. And so it got, out
1: of, it got out of hand quick. And
0: what's like ballpark, what's the size of these tilapia? I'm trying to picture like a, are they, are they like smaller than dinner plate size? Or are they kind of?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. The breeders, the breeders were about, uh, no bigger than like six inches, I'd say. I mean, that, that would be tops. So I'd say four to six inches. The breeders were, these were not huge fish. You know, these fish, when you saw them, they were, they were not like harvest, even like harvesting size fish. Um, I think this species of tilapia can get to like four or five plus pounds. Sometimes people will even wait that long to harvest them. Um, but these, these fish were, you know, still, you know, juveniles for sure.
0: Interesting. And then as you guys were kind of getting a feel for, uh, once you had a, a female holding, so they're maternal mouth brooder, brooders, um, and you said you did a combination of you would let the female spit the fry on her own once they were, you know, um, uh, old enough, or you would strip the fry or the, the would you strip the eggs?
1: No, we never stripped the eggs with them. Normally what would happen is I would I would see the – we would put the female in the tank while she was still holding eggs. Then we would notice that the fry had become free swimming, but they would still kind of hang out in her mouth a lot. And when they got to the point where we would notice the fry were free swimming, but when we went over towards the tank or they got scared, they would kind of go in her mouth. Then at that point we would try to get her out. So normally what would happen is we go over to the tank. We would – capture her but some of the fry would swim back into her mouth so we would kind of put her in another container and kind of try to hold her and coax her to spit the rest of the fry out Um, but we always waited until they were free swimming I never had an issue with the females eating the the fry I'm not saying that couldn't happen but you know I, I didn't see it and we had so many that you know if they were predating it didn't it didn't affect the the yield
0: Okay, Ryan. So walk me through um, how many tanks did you have for this operation, and you know what, what kind of filtration were you using? What kind of lighting? Like, I just I guess paint a paint a, um, a more descriptive picture of this kind of operation.
1: Yeah. So in my garage, the main um, grow out tanks, the big tanks, were IBC totes. So they're the they're usually used in uh, their landscaping. They hold chemicals. Um, But they were about 275, 300-gallon totes, like a plastic tote wrapped around with this metal um, kind of encasing. So we had four of those where we had chopped off the top and created these DIY five-gallon bucket filters. So we had pumps running from the bottom of these totes through bucket filters with DIY spray bars just filled with, you know, different size media and then i was doing water changes on these you know these tubs these totes um a few times a week as well and then the other operate other part of the operation was the 55 gallon tank with the the breeding pair and then we had i don't know about 6 or 8 um 10 and 20 gallon tanks for the um you know the holding females and eventually when we put you know we put the male in a separate tank as well Cause we just, you know, wanted to stop production.
0: Gotcha. And so how, how long did this go on for before you guys decided to to pull the plug? And did you ever actually take anything to market?
1: Yeah. So this went on for, Oh, maybe like five, six months and we never took anything to market. We ended up uh, selling some to uh, some individuals who wanted for their pond. So not as food fish, but more as like stocking fish for someone's pond. Mm -hmm. We just unloaded them, you know, obviously a lot less than what we had, you know, wanted, but, you know, we we didn't take a bath. We didn't invest too much because all the those tanks and those totes and the the lights for that stuff we had bought used. We just found some just standard lighting, um, used aquarium lighting that we stretched over these these tubs. It wasn't anything fancy or special. We didn't have any live plants or anything. I just wanted you know some lights, just because I didn't even know you know at the time. I just you know just we need lights, so we just we just bought some cheap used lights
0: okay and then i mean did you did you end up having like a bunch left over that you just had to get rid of or did you have like a giant like taco fish taco cook-off
1: yeah no we ended up no we ended up selling all of them none of them to my knowledge were eaten so we ended up selling off all the fingerlings and stuff like that and the breeding pairs and everything to a few different individuals that had ponds and like the the last couple I, they were just more of like a hey we want to free them in our pond we we want them to be you know just just set them free type deal and we let them know we were kind of you know closing down operations so they were happy just to kind of we made a deal i forget what it was we made a deal and they just bought all the last fish they're like listen we just want to put them in our private pond we want to give them a good home that's what we're looking for to do and we made a deal with them and gave them all the rest of the you know the fingerlings at that point they were you know probably between. Three, four inches long, I guess. Probably more, closer to three inches long.
0: Nice. Now, now I'm going to say this. I think it is awesome that you guys did this. I think it's super cool, and I'm sure it is. It has set the stage for how your, you know, your fish career, if you will, ha- has progressed from there. Um, but was there a moment where you two just like kind of sat down after it was all said and done with a beard, and you guys were like, "What the heck were we thinking?"
1: Oh yeah, there was. There was definitely times <laughs> like that. You know, just like crazy stuff, but. We him and I have had other crazy business ideas not related to fish and stuff that we've played around with. So that's that's kind of been our our stick, you know, over the years. Like I said, this is my friend since like seventh grade. But yeah, we definitely look back and go, that was that was kind of stupid and goofy.
0: And <laughs> oh, I, love but it, I don't though. think
1: we, I, I don't think we regret it. You know, it was just one of those things that was just, we laugh about it now for sure. Oh, it's crazy. That's,
0: that's so good, man. So like whenever you decide to do the, uh, the, the fish club tour or the, I'm sorry, the fish club speaking circuit, right? Like that's gotta be, a, you know, a, a part of your presentation is, is showing the pictures and talking about this experience of setting up a, uh, an at home in the garage, tilapia food stuff, you know, foodstuffs, uh, farm, if you will like that. That's cool.
1: Yeah, no, it was, it was a fun, I, I did, I did kind of recount the story a little bit in a video, but it was, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely, it was a learning experience. A lot of the things that I did learn, you know, I directly use, you know, in my, you know, in my fish room today. So it was, it was cool. And, you know, it was cool to go through that with, you know, my buddy, who's not into fish at all right now, but it was just, it was just a really cool experience.
0: And then, okay. And so then let's go ahead and make that segue into um, your fish room as we know it now. So then how did that start up?
1: Yeah, so even after I got rid of the tilapia and that was over, like I said, pretty much all that stuff was sold, um, you know, on Craigslist. The fish, the tanks, I think the IBC toast just went to the dump. But um, I was left with just a few tanks in the garage, and for I don't know, less than a year, close to a year, but less than a year, I went with you know no tank setup of anything, and. It was December of 2016. I I still had this itch to set up a tank because I'd never set up that saltwater tank, that 55-gallon tank in the living room. And I didn't want to go full-blown saltwater, but I still had this itch. And my wife bought me, it was like kind of a Christmas present for um, December of 2016, bought me a 55-gallon off of Craigslist. And that kind of rehatched me into the hobby full-blown because that was a tank that, had live plants, it had some angelfish. Um, it's what led me into discovering kind of YouTube and, you know, the nitrogen cycle and how live plants could be beneficial. And, you know, now, you know, my fish room, I have like almost 30 tanks, I think. But from there, it was just, you know, cherry shrimp and um, plecos and different substrates and just learning. I just became like a sponge, wanting to learn, you know, as much as I could.
0: And does she regret buying you that tank, or is she happy with your newfound addiction?
1: I don't think so. I think she's I think she's happy with it. She's happy that, you know, that I'm happy. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think she regrets it at all. Fish is definitely not her thing, although she does kind of do some stuff with me. She gets involved a little bit, you know, with the fish, and, you know, the, especially the babies and stuff like that. Um, but, well, yeah, it, it's definitely something we get into.
0: Well, and the nice thing, too, for her, I would imagine, is that um, you've done it uh, very tastefully in the house, right? So you've got that one tank, which is now um the African cichlid tank, right? the The Mabuna tank, um, correct, which is a real fun tank. I mean, you just sit back and watch that 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 tank do its thing, and it's just really peaceful. Really, well, sometimes it can be chaotic in there, right? Because they're African <laughs> cichlids, but it's it's peaceful yeah. for you, right? Just to kind of sit back and and watch the fish interact, and then in your other room, you've got a um. Uh, I know there's plecos in there. Are, are there guppies in that tank as well? But another heavily uh,
1: there's there's cherry shrimp. There's cherry okay. shrimp and then the uh, the plecos and some plants and stuff.
0: Okay, but it is a heavily planted, very peaceful tank. So and those are the only two that are actually in the house, right? Everything else is is in the garage. So it's kind of you know it's it's controlled. It's out of sight, and you know you've got two nice display tanks.
1: Yes, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so I do have only the two in the house and that's that's the max. I'm not planning any more in the house right now. And then yeah, I got a, a bunch in the garage. Um but it worked out that way and she was around when I had the whole tilapia, you know, debacle and she you know, she was around for that. So she knows me, so she, you know, so the fact that the garage is now transformed into something else is, you know, it's not that out of uh, out of the norm.
0: <laughs> so then as you start building out these, the, your garage and you start adding fish tanks, um, is it, is it primarily cherry shrimp? That's kind of your thing? Um, or did you, have you gone through um, different, um, you know, different, uh, I don't want to call it a fad, but different interests, right? Like, you know, South American cichlids or, you know, African cichlids, like, have you kind of gone through an evolution in what you, what you prefer to keep?
1: Yeah, I think I don't know if I've gone through the evolution yet. I think I will, but I think my main goal starting off was, what can I be successful with? Here in Florida, I have fairly hard water, so African cichlids was one where I was like, okay, we can do some African cichlids. Cherry shrimp was another one where I was like, okay, cherry shrimp makes sense, especially the you know the the carrot Caridina Caridina versus the uh, the neos. I mean, versus the other ones, I haven't tried any of that because I don't have the soft water. Um, and the thing that can be said about the other, some of the other species I keep, I, am trying to just make it easy on myself right now. Um, I do have some South American cichlids and I, I do see myself in the future kind of, you know, maybe playing around with an RO system and playing around with some more, you know, softer water species. Um, and maybe going, like you said, through those bigger transitions, cause there's definitely some species, um, that interest me, you know, from different, uh, like the bigger sickle and stuff like that that I don't have right now that I'd like to in the future. I,
0: I, I may put you on the spot with this question, but to the best of your knowledge, um, you know, you're talking about Florida in your, your Orlando area having harder water. What is your water source? I mean, because I, I would just assume that you guys get a lot of rain like we do. You've got um, bodies of water everywhere to which a California person, I think that there's alligators in every single body of water that <laughs> I drive past, which I don't think is an unreasonable thought. Um, but have you researched where your, where your water is coming from?
1: You know, I haven't. And I'm not sure if this has anything to do with it, but I know I'm not on well. So my personally, my water, you know, it comes from the municipality. But even that being said, I'm not sure. Um, And I I would believe that if it is groundwater at some point, the ground here in Florida is pretty much limestone. Right. So I would assume that maybe that has something to do with. You know the hardness. If if this water is you know coming through, what's the term? I don't, I'm going to sound like I'm a league here, but the aquifer is that is that the term? Like the, you know under the under yeah, the ground, yeah, or whatever. The, uh, maybe an aquifer, yeah. Aquifer, aquifer. It's it's is it pick, maybe it's picking up you know some of the the calcium and limestone sediment, and that that's what makes our water more hard here in Florida. Um, but I don't know. I I do know that I do have some harder water, and it's I think it's for for the most part pretty much everyone in Florida, it's you know fairly hard water out here.
0: Yeah, that that just seems reasonable, but you know, just initially, I would think that with uh, with again the amount of um, uh, perspiration that you guys get. The precipitation, not perspiration. What the heck is wrong with me? I'll leave that in. There's plenty, I'll leave that there's plenty in. of that going around, too. There's plenty yeah. of that going around, too. With the amount of, <laughs> of precipitation that you guys get, that that maybe that would contribute to your uh, your municipal water supply. But you know, if you guys have a lot of limestone and it, it is a groundwater source and, and the fact that you're saying that you have hard water, um, and I did taste the water out of the tap while I was in Orlando, and it certainly does not taste like the soft water here in Seattle, I can tell you that much. Oh,
1: it's funky
0: man it's funky it can <laughs> be funky it, it is man i'm gonna i'm gonna tell the rest of the country that uh, the pacific northwest the seattle area man we've got the best tap water it tastes like you're drinking bottled water it is just uh oh, so nice so I, I i struggle when i travel elsewhere um but i i, I digress so so let's talk about now um so uh, collecting in the wild so when when did you first do your um first collecting trip out in the wild of florida
1: um, my first ever collecting trip would have been at the end of last year, I think, like, so like, October or so of 2018. And that was because of, you know, local fish friends, some friends that I met um, online, buying and selling and trading, you know, tanks and plants and stuff. Um, my one friend in particular, Jose, was kind of always intrigued by, um, mm. like, kind of the smaller fish, the fish that, you know, the native stuff, not necessarily the prettiest fish, but just kind of like the the interesting stuff um, more of the, you know, live bears, especially, and we just kind of were talking and there's a group of four or five of us went out, found a spot and, you know, went and collected. I don't even know to this day, I don't know what they were, but I just know I had a blast, you know, got my feet wet walking through this river and just, you know, collected a bunch of, I think they were like shiner type fish and, you know, it was awesome.
0: Do you see any gators? <laughs>
1: um, no gators, no <laughs> gators. I've never seen any gators, uh, while collecting But I I mean, it is smart to kind of approach it from a standpoint of you do never know Um, they when they do see gators here in any, you know, usually if there's a gator, as soon as it gets spotted, someone says something and they remove it. You know, so if there's a gator in a a residential area or an area where there's going to be people, you know, they they remove it. Even an area where I would go collecting, most of the times it's, you know, they should be removed. But. You could be the one that, you know, it just came there yesterday <laughs> and it hasn't been removed
0: yet. <laughs> and so what are your uh do you have any like like a real crazy story that's happened so far while you've been out collecting?
1: Um no, no, not really. I mean everybody everybody kind of curious because you know, sometimes we're out and there's no one else around. But there's a few times where I've been collecting where there's you know, a few other people doing some other fishing or something else and they're always just curious as to what the heck, you know, we we're doing and are we catching bait? You know, what are you doing? Are you, Oh, you're collecting stuff. Are you from a university? Oh no. You're just like fish geeks <laughs> with, with aquariums. Like, yeah, that's just, that's pretty much it. But people have been really friendly. We haven't got run out of anywhere. People are usually kind of curious. Um, if we do run into people, um, in terms of like running into predators or anything, no, I think the, 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 uh, the leech is getting on us. You were with us. Yeah. It was when I was with, with you and Corey, um, we got leeches on us. That was, that was fun slash, little
0: scary. Well, that's pretty good so far. Then, if that's like the the craziest thing that's happened, that, I guess that just means that it's been good times catching fish. Then, and nothing too out of out of the ordinary has happened. But yeah, that was uh, yeah, we were out there having a good old time um, in that in that lake, kind of where the in the, in the reeds, if you will, um, right off the shore of this lake and. You know, we're, we're we're catching various water bugs, and you know, is that a stick bug or is it a water scorpion? We didn't really know, but you know, certainly don't want to find out and get and get stung or bit by it or w- whatever it does. Um, and me just kind of playing around with swirling my net around and pulling up a, a handful of fry. That was that was pretty wild. Um, cause we, we were all assuming that they were going to be like under the boat or in the taller grass. And I'm just out in the very middle, just, you know, like a little kid That's it's like when you watch little kids play uh, baseball and there's that one kid out in right field and he's just kind of like looking around, you know, throwing his mitt up in the air. <laughs> like, honestly, that's kind of what I felt like I was doing. I just had my net in the, in the water, just kind of yeah, do, 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 do and pull it up. And sure enough, there's a handful of fish and, uh, I mean, I, a handful of fry and it was just really cool.
1: Yeah, no, it was pretty neat, and I, as I have the photo to prove it, you sent the photo to me. That was pretty, pretty cool. I appreciate you for that. But, um, but no, that was, I mean, you know, you didn't think it. I mean, the look on your face, it was kind of an amazement of just like this random scoop, and you came up with, you know, jackpot.
0: Yeah, no, that was that was great, and uh, that whole day, that was my very first time, um, ever. Collecting fish, as in, I'm going to get in the water with a net to try to catch fish, as opposed to you know, rod and reel fishing. Um, so, that was just an absolute blast that day. Um, so, why don't you you walk walk us through what species we were targeting and what did we see out there fish wise?
1: Yeah, so we were after um, a, a few different things, but we caught a lot of least keely fish, which is like the smallest library in the world, which is a really cool looking um, fish, super tiny, like inch or less. Um, also, some sailfin mollies, those are the ones that you and I were kind of walking up and down in the mud, you know, looking at the these males have this kind of flashy blue tail in the water, you can spot them. And we, we you know, we caught a few, but we were walking up and down the, uh, you know, the, the bank there trying to corral them, um, that, that was a lot of fun. And then also the bluefin keelifish, which I think right now in terms of fish that I've collected, um, and native fish, it's probably my favorite. I have some right now. I'm hoping to breed them. Um I'm keeping a, a colony that I've collected in the fish room, and they just have this really kind of flashy blue and red fins, and it's something that i i didn't I would never have believed that it's a native fish here to Florida and the whole the whole southeast, you know, it's it's, it's really cool,
0: yeah, so you and Corey were both very excited about that fish, and I was looking at it in your tank. And I was like, yeah, I guess that's kind of all right. And I've since gone back and watched Corey's the Fish Room tour, <laughs> and he actually caught it on video when the fish does flash. Right? I guess I, I just must have been absorbed with your with the South America with, with your big uh, was he South or Central American cichlid that you have in the big tank. Yeah. Um, and just yeah. kind of you know checking everything out in your room and not really focusing on anything in particular. But yeah, that killifish when they actually flash out their their uh, fins, it is just vibrant blue it's a beautiful, and then they tuck them back in. And then they just kind of look like a, they kind of look like a less flashy um, white cloud or kind of a, 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 an equis pencil fish. Like they, they've got very similar patterns in my, to me, but you know, far more active. And with that flashy, you know, the flashy tails when they do show it, they are a very beautiful fish.
1: Yeah, definitely, and they are really active. That's one thing um, my local friend David had kept them in the past, and he said, hey, listen man, you know, once these things get acclimated in a day or two in your tank, They should be, you know, right out there and really friendly. And they have been. I mean, I come up there and they're like in your face. They're not too shy. You know, they adapted really well. You know, it's a pretty established, really planted tank, which is, you know, their preferred habitat. But, you know, they they're actually they get adjusted pretty well.
0: Mm -hmm. And then the fourth species that we were catching was the Gambusia. So the mosquito fish. Um, And is that is that actually truly native to Florida or is that just invasive?
1: You know what? I'm not sure if that is native or invasive. I do know that they will kind of go ahead and introduce them, and I believe you can literally call up um, like a local municipality, or I don't know exactly the department, but they will give you some. Like, say you have a, a lake or an area or just a, a small body of water that you want to make sure you know mosquitoes aren't breeding in, they'll literally give you some so you can make sure you you know put them in that in that water. So you don't have that issue anymore.
0: Wow, that's crazy. I didn't know that they were doing that. I mean, it makes total sense. Um, I, now, I do know in Tennessee, uh, so I've talked about this fish before, the Baron's top minnow, the Fungilisa um, julicii, I believe it is, a uh, very beautiful, fairly large uh, killifish actually native to this central uh, plateau region of Tennessee. And it's actually facing, um, you know, facing some, some extinction potentially or, uh, you know, uh, like vulnerable threatened status on the, um, man on the endangered species list. Like my, my brain's just completely farting. Like okay. it, ha- it actually hasn't, <laughs> it, it hasn't made it on uh, for the endangered species act yet. Uh, but they're saying that introduced gambusia is out competing it like super hard for food. Oh, wow. Um, in between that and like encroachment, like human encroachment on their, on their native uh, waters. So, uh, I know that's somewhere where the gambusia is doing a bit of damage. And I think elsewhere, like, I think I, I would have to assume everywhere else where it's been introduced, right? Like putting it in old yeah. pools to make sure sure that you know the, the the stagnant water in a pool doesn't um you know breed mosquitoes like all these vector control activities to keep mosquitoes down and if they ever get out in the wild um they're fairly pro- prolific at breeding and you know they just for a little fish you know the, the thing can outcompete natives
1: yeah and the impact can be you know just dev- devastating um yeah and it's a good point you bring up you know the negative effects because it is really cool to get out there and when we were collecting i don't think we really came across like i said I, I'm pretty sure the Gambusia are native here, but you know, regardless other than that, you know, we didn't come across any you know invasive species. Especially when you think of Florida, especially South Florida, you think of some of the like, you know the, the bigger cichlids that people have released into the wild. Um, my friends and I went collecting a week or two ago, and for the first time ever, I ended up catching some some of the more um, invasive species that you think about having a negative impact, like a convict cichlid. When I went to this. This stream river area and we were catching convict cichlids and platys and no gambusia, no least keely fish, no bluefin keely fish, none of the natives, which you'd expect to find there. But instead, literally aquarium fish that you'd have to believe, whether it was, you know, a few months ago or years ago, you know, uh, hobbyists released, you know, into the into the wild and now have taken over.
0: Wow. And, ha- and how far away from where we were collecting were you getting the convict cichlids?
1: Um, different water system, but with, you know, 20, 20, 30 minutes away.
0: Oh, wow. Now, given that these were, you know, in, introduced or invasive convict cichlids in this body of water, uh, but I would imagine being out in the wild, though, that they had some probably pretty vibrant colors, yeah?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. They were beautiful-looking fish, and you could see, you know, different generations clearly populating. That's why I say I think, you know, they'd probably been there for a while. They seem to have established themselves you know, different, you know, larger, smaller, male, female, but yeah, I mean, beautiful looking fish.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I did a, a quick little Wikipedia. So you know, for what it's worth, here there's apparently the Western mosquito fish and the Eastern mosquito fish. They're both in the Gambusia genus. Uh, the Western mosquito fish is Gambusia affinis, and the Eastern is Gambusia holbrooki. So I'm wondering, okay. yeah. So it would make sense then that uh, you guys would have potentially the eastern mosquito fish I would assume and I'm looking for if it says anything about it being native to Florida but um yeah no definitely so there's there's at least a western and an eastern uh, mosquito fish that's that's native to to the United States and they say yeah they 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 don't actually harm any of the fish but they do have aggressive behavior and they do outcompete them for food
1: yeah, I mean it makes sense. I mean just because they're they're not going around eating other fish, it would make sense with their, you know, taking up you know like you said f- food resources mm-hmm. and starving because they're they're definitely out there in numbers that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and if they reproduce faster, right? Like if if you know they're they can they can they're eating more, they're reproducing more, and there's just more of them to do that, and it just is potentially could spiral out of control. I would imagine.
1: Yeah, it throws off the balance of the whole local ecosystem. Yeah,
0: yep. Yeah. And so what other what other kind of uh, wild collecting plans in Florida do you have?
1: So I would really like to get out, um, a little further South and, um, you know, there's, there's people that collect, like I said, like you can collect frontosa, peacock bass, knife fish. Um, so I'm interested in maybe collecting some of the bigger stuff, just seeing what's out there. Um, I used to do some rod and reel fishing. I don't know if I'll be doing that, but I am interested in really kind of, you know, collecting you know, many species as I can legally, of course, and see if I can keep. You know, a lot of them here in the fish room, um, and you know, kind of educate. You know, there's been there's been times in the past I kind of alluded to you, I don't know if you want to get into it, but I alluded to you, there's been times in the past where you know I got a slap on the wrist for not necessarily following the rules, um, and obviously a lot of these fish are out here now in the, you know, in the wild because of people not following the rules. I think it's important that, you know, we educate and we learn and we explain to people why the native fish can be so cool and an invasive, invasive fish, you know, can be, you know, devastating, even though they may look cool as well.
0: Yeah. So you actually just reminded me of that. Why don't you go ahead and develop that out, the the slap on the wrist that you got and kind of let us unpack that and let us understand what happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this, this happened a few months back at the end of 2018. This kind of ties back into the whole breeding fish for profit. I mentioned earlier that I've, you know, bred and sold some cherry shrimp, like a lot of hobbyists have, to make a few bucks, pay for fish food. I've done the same thing with um, bristlenose plecos, and I had a pair of albino bristlenose plecos that I was looking to move on for from, and I listed them on Craigslist. I listed them on Craigslist, and I got a, you know, response from a gentleman. Set up a time to meet on Friday. And, you know, Gentleman came, looked at the plecos, asked a few questions, looked around the fish room, you know, asked about um, the larger common pleco I have in my 125. I'd explained to him, you know, yeah, this is a common pleco, not like the brisselnose plecos you're buying. You know, these guys get monstrous. You don't want to really have one probably. And if it does get out of hand, some people are knuckleheads and they release them into the wild like they shouldn't. And just kind of given a little, you know, PSA, which – would come to kind of really help me out um, because I can't prove this. They don't. They didn't really kind of uh, admit this. But long story short, I get a, some cash for the plecos. As this is happening, uh, a marked uh, Florida Fish and Wildlife truck comes around. Two very nice officers come and approach me, ask me what's going on, ask me what I'm doing, selling the fish. Um, it's illegal. To sell aquarium fish, even for you know twenty thirty bucks out of your garage, out of your home, unless you have some permitting, which I did not have. I do now have, and I have a, a bunch of permits more than I need. And the cool thing is, they're fairly cheap permits. Which they explained to me, "Hey, knucklehead, get these get these permits. You can't be doing this." But um, long story short, it was definitely a big big wake up experience. Definitely something that um, I want to you know share. And I think people you know, can learn from, and you should definitely be looking up your laws and regulations in your area before you're buying anything, selling anything, collecting anything. We've been talking a lot about going and collecting and keeping stuff. You definitely wanna make sure you reach out to all the you know, proper authorities and get your ducks in a row, because I was lucky that I got a slap on the wrist Um, but you know, they had every right to, to find me, you know, I think it was a misdemeanor. I forget what the fines were at least a few hundred bucks, but they had every right to, um, to find me. I was in the wrong. I was just lucky that I got off with a warning that day.
0: No, that's, that's great. And I mean, Florida is unique with their, with that, that, you know, tropical climate there that pretty much any exotic creature that comes from anywhere near the equator can pretty much survive in Florida. Um, you know, the the Burmese pythons, um, the iguanas, like there's just countless, countless creatures that have just overrun Florida. Like the, the python thing um, is super scary. Like, you know, I talk about the alligators, but man, those things that are taking down alligators and... I just have no natural predators man, those things are, are no joke. And so, and so I say all that because (laughs) like Florida has to be extra on guard um, and, and it should really be on guard in, you know, as, as stewards of this hobby. We should be doing PSAs. You know, we should be making these public service announcements to let people know that they need to not act like knuckleheads because those actions, you know, with, if it's just one person, whatever. But if it's just multiple, multiple people, you know, it's not just whatever for one person. But the more that do it, the more compounded it gets, the more visibility, the more negative press. And then we're going to get legislation that potentially comes down and hammers hard on the hobby. And now we can't enjoy this awesome hobby that we all love.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think there's, I think well, a, a conversation needs to be said. And I think you're right. We got to spread the word. Um, this is something we didn't even talk about. This is something I just uh, recorded a video on today, and it'll probably be out before this podcast comes out. But uh, there was an arrest made in North Carolina um, due to cruelty to animals. A gentleman was um, was evicted from his house, left an Oscar fish in his 55 gallon, I think it was 55 gallon tank, left his Oscar fish in a tank, uh, it had hole in the head. The sheriff's deputy saw it. They arrested the gentleman um, and charged him with cruelty to animals. Now he was since real, um, the char- charges were dropped, and I guess the the, the laws in the books there don't support fish, so they had to drop the charges. However, they at, for a certain point of time they did arrest him. They arrested him. He had to b- bail himself out, and this is because of an Oscar fish that he had left in a you know in a tank. Um, so I think more stuff like that needs to happen. I think we need to talk about it more, um, and and really just you know, have those conversations.
0: Interesting. So they, the, the sheriff, they arrested him because, so he was, so what was the story? And why was that? He had gotten arrested prior. And so he wasn't able to care for the Oscar.
1: No, no, well that's, that's, there's a few different things going on. So he was evicted from his home. Evicted. That's right? right. He was evicted from his home, which, Obviously, if you get evicted, there's a, the, the timeline's kind of unclear. I think it was only a few days, but he was evicted from his home and then three days later the sheriff's deputies found this fish in poor conditions. They reported it. He ended up being arrested, but then – well, he bailed out, but then the, um, the 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 prosecutor dropped the charges when they realized that there, the laws and the books did not support fish. So I don't know if they extended to dogs, cats, you know, birds, horses, whatever, but not I don't know where the line was drawn. But they just they the fish was not included in the law on the books in North Carolina, at least. So um, I did some research digging around trying to see how that works here in central Florida and kind of got directed back towards fish and wildlife. I reached out to them again. I haven't heard back yet, Um, but just I want to I'm going to keep I want to find answers. I'm just curious to see where we stand with that you know, in terms of legalities for for Florida.
0: Yeah, that's definitely interesting. And uh, so while you're out collecting in the wild, um, what what are the rules around when you actually do net um, an invasive species?
1: Yeah, so when you net an invasive species, you're supposed to, you know, essentially dispatch of that species. I mean, you're, I don't think there's any laws against essentially keeping it, but you can't, you're not supposed to reintroduce that species, you know, to the wild, um, I, you know, they think they, they, whether you have a license to do something or not, you know, you're, you're supposed to, you know, dispatch or kill, kill that you know, particular animal, which I know is difficult and a lot of people wouldn't agree with it. But, you know, to my knowledge, that is, that is the law, you know, that's how you're supposed to act.
0: Okay. Okay. So, but, but like you were saying though, you could potentially bring these, you know, these, uh, or, um, you know, convict cichlids home and, and legally be able to keep them in your possession
1: with the proper licensure. Yes. Okay. Yeah. With the proper licensure. Yes.
0: And that's not the same. That's not the same license to sell them. That's the license that permitted you to go and collect initially.
1: There's multiple licenses, yeah. So there's like the the license, The only license that I needed to, to sell that pleco, like the the in order to to collect essentially, you just need like you know a Florida a Florida fishing license. I went went ahead and bought a commercial one. That way I can actually you know uh, sell stuff as well, like collect plants and sell them as well, like sell the the wild caught stuff. Um, in terms of being able to um, sell those plecos that I had bred, I needed what they call a, uh, freshwater fish and frog dealers license, which is less than 50 bucks for the year. So it's, it's not like a ton of money. Um,
0: so what about the cherry shrimp though? Would you have been off the hook if you were just selling cherry shrimp?
1: No, I believe, no, I believe the cherry shrimp would fall under that. The plecos as well. I think it's just for whatever reason, the pleco, the pleco is what got me, you know, the pleco is what they, they saw maybe it was a dollar amount because you know, the cherry shrimp. You know, or a few bucks a piece. The plecos were, I think, somewhere in the range of like thirty, forty bucks. Um, so maybe because of that, I know I'm not really sure because uh, when I when I asked the two gentlemen that were uniformed. And I was like, oh man, so this is kind of like an undercover sting type deal where those two guys were, you know, undercover cops, and this, you know, and he was like, oh no, we were just driving in your neighborhood, which, you know, I respect them. I know it's not true. I know he wasn't. <laughs> I know. I know he doesn't expect me to believe that that he was just happened to be driving in my residential neighborhood at the exact same time I happened to be selling these fish. And oh, we got you. Oh, oh, okay, you know. But I, I understand. Like he just, you know, they they can't give all their stuff away. He, he knows I'm not stupid, but. That's so I, I couldn't ask too many questions because we were under the the guise of oh you know we just kind of got you.
0: <laughs> yeah no that, uh, that that yeah that's crazy. Uh, yeah well, well Ryan man I hope that uh, sometime in the near future I can make it back down to to Florida and collect with you. Uh, but before we leave man. I know that people listening to this are like, man, this Ryan guy, it sounds like he's doing some cool stuff. I want to know more about him. I want to see if I can follow some of his social media. Um, So why don't you go ahead and let us know, like, you know, what social media do you have? And um, in the bio, I did talk about the YouTube. So why don't you go ahead and kind of build out and talk about your YouTube channel for a little bit?
1: Yeah, man. So um, you can find me on YouTube. That's pretty much my main, like, social media. I try to put out, you know, a few videos a week. And what I really focus on is... DIY fish projects, doing things cheap. My fish room is in the garage, so I battle some, you know, heat issues, some cold issues, even though I'm here in Florida. Um, I'm really focusing on these collecting trips and getting out, getting my feet wet, going to collect, uh, you know, native species, invasive species, and seeing what's out there. There's a lot that I just don't know much about. You know, I'm still really new to fish keeping as a hobby. Um, I, I know there's guys that have been in it for 40, 50 years and are still learning. You know, I've been doing this full blown with multiple tanks now for, I don't know, two and a half years almost. So I'm still very much a novice. And a lot of my channel, my YouTube channel is centered around, like I said, what I'm kind of doing, but also I like to share through the eyes of um, some other individuals. So I've taken some tours of farms, to kind of share with you guys what's going on at different farms or stores or um, just breeding facilities, um, because like I said, I'm not—I don't consider myself an expert, really. So I like to, you know, bring on some people that have been more of an expert in their field, like discus or loaches or whatever, and have them, you know, share that. And then I also will share some of um, my techniques in terms of building a fish room on the cheap. If there's one thing I do think I kind of like specialize in, or really think I have some knowledge in, it's the whole, you know, Craigslist offer up buying things used and finding good deals. And I got a lot of good videos on that. Um, but I'm really excited in the future to kind of, you know, expand the fish room and bring some some stuff that you just don't don't see out there too much. Um, I also I also have a, a Instagram page. It's Lucky Schmuck's Fish Cave on Instagram, where I try to post something cool, do some behind the scenes stuff. Um, Trying to work on my my fish photography a little bit, um, step up the game there. But you can find me, like I said, Instagram and YouTube, just Lucky Schmuck's Fish Cave.
0: And I'll make sure that I have those links in the show notes so people can just direct link directly to your uh, Instagram page or Facebook or your YouTube um, page. Your YouTube channel, so people can follow you um, and subscribe to your stuff. Because you know you're you're an awesome guy. You know, like I said, I, I now feel like I can say, yeah, man, I've got a buddy in Florida. Yeah, I just went collecting with my friend in Florida the other month. Um, so you know, I'm really glad that we had a chance to connect in person. And uh, I think the funny thing for people is as they watch your your channel, um, when you're doing your behind the chair, you know, kind of monologue session, or you're just talking to the camera with the with your uh, fish tanks yeah. in the background. It, I didn't realize that you're gonna be like eight feet tall. Because, because because that chair that chair is like one of the low boy adirondack style chairs and so you, you you it seems like you're at a normal height but like you meet you in person it's like man ryan's like ryan's like 10 feet tall man this dude's super tall
1: i like to tell people i'm i'm five foot 19 five foot 19 there you go so you can do the math but oh, uh, man but yeah no I, I have a lot of fun doing it man it's, it's it's been a lot of fun you know doing the channel and you know um, meeting you was was a blast. Like I said, you know, I I had fun. I hope that you know I make it out to Washington to the store. Um, you know, come meet you again one day. I want to be doing more traveling because I think that you know that's another thing in this hobby that you know there's a lot of things to see across the country, across the across the globe. Um, so I, I really, I'm hoping that this kind of opens up some more traveling doors and it'd be really cool if it brought, you know, our paths to cross again in person.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I have no doubt that they will. Um, and I can't wait for that to happen again. We'll go out and get some more f- good food and, uh, and do some fish nerd stuff.
1: Definitely, man. Looking forward to it. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see what kind of cool stuff you guys got out there in, uh, in Washington in terms of, in terms of food and stuff, good places like that.
0: No, there's definitely some good places to eat here, man. We'll definitely take you out. (laughs) All right, Ryan. Well, thank you so much, man, for taking time out of your evening to talk to me on the podcast. It's been an absolute blast. Um, like I said, you know, I feel like I've got a great friend in Florida. So thank you so much for coming on. And, um, I hope everybody, you know, jumps over to your Instagram, jumps over to your YouTube and checks it out and subscribes and follows you.
1: Hey, thanks, Randy. It was a great time, and I really appreciate you having me on.